What a wonderful day this morning. Thanks for being so uh, liberal in worship. It's Pentecost Sunday. I don't know if you know what that means, but uh, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard that term. But it's, a, it's really a time for us to celebrate. It's a time for us to remember what God did for us. It's a time to uh, point to the Holy Spirit and to remember who He is and the fullness of all that He is. And, and part of the issues that we, we face today is um, in multicultural church, multi-generational church, is that we sometimes uh, know about the Holy Spirit. It's almost like somebody we've known most of our lives until you have to go to introduce them and you say, oh, here's, here's so-and-so and he, um, well, he's kind of like, um, <laughs> and, and you've probably heard the phrase Holy Spirit or you've been told about the Holy Spirit, but the, the day of Pentecost was a day that changed the world. Uh, not only uh, did Jesus change the world after his resurrection, but the day of Pentecost actually formated the beginning of the church. And it's what he did in us that makes the difference. It's what he did in us that helps us to know who is the Holy Spirit. What, what did he come for? He, he didn't come to, uh, you know, give us good services. He didn't come to make us have goosebumps. He didn't come for all these reasons. And depending on how you were raised or what you heard, I'm just going to give you what the Bible says we're supposed to know about the Holy Spirit this morning. But uh, the reality is that this Holy Spirit... The, the word that they use, this uh, word for it is dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. Uh, explosive power. Okay? Now, I don't know if that's what you think of the Holy Spirit. Some people think tongues. Some people think uh, gifts. Some people think... But those are just attributes. The Holy Spirit is, is not those things, but the Holy Spirit can cause those things. And so I want to take just a little bit of time on a day like today that I don't want us to overstep this. I don't want us to, to move past it without understanding. So, so I'll just fill you in, and hopefully, if you read the Scriptures with me, and hopefully, if you'll open your heart this morning, then maybe, maybe it can be your day of Pentecost. Maybe the Holy Spirit completely works in you. Maybe the Holy Spirit does something new in you like he did on the day of Pentecost. So what is Pentecost? Uh, its root words, again, it, it means 50. So 50 days after Easter for us. But it's the commemoration and celebration of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit 50 days after the Sabbath during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, we don't practice these feasts, but the Jews did. This was not the only Pentecost that ever happened in the Bible. It happened routinely. It was a time frame. But it's also for us to remember that God's life, breath, and power lives in us as believers. We don't believe in the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And how He makes us alive is He gives us the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not some figurative thing, not some Jedi force or some influence. He is so much more than that. It's also a day to remember that God conquered our fear. He supplied us with boldness and the power to share the gospel. And, and that right there is the true purpose of the Holy Spirit. 
He came because he knew that we are people that get afraid, we get distracted, we get caught up in stuff. And he said, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to send somebody to you and that somebody's going to fill you up to overflowing and you're going to have boldness where you used to have fear. You're going to have provision where you used to think you had lack. And last but not least, it's also a promise that the Holy Spirit is for all believers. If you cut off part of the Holy Spirit, you're cutting off God. God is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is God. I know there's people that want to push it to the side. They want to say, well, we can, we can have a relationship without it. I'm telling you, you can't. If you're cutting off part of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit, you're cutting off God, and you're doing yourself a disservice. You're practicing false doctrine. But it's not just for you. It's for your children and your children's children. This is the heart of God. Look at I, I didn't just give it to a select few. I poured out my spirit that anybody that wants it can have it to you and your children and your children's children and to all. He was making the plans for the Gentiles, us, the non-Jewish believers, and all that God will call. And do you know this morning that He's called us all? He died for everyone, right? That's the greatness of the gospel is he died for everybody. But that's Pentecost. Let's, let's talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit before we jump into this. I want to take you to Scripture in just a minute. But it's understanding that the Holy Spirit is not in force. It is not an it. It's disrespectful to refer to the Holy Spirit as it. He... He is a person. He is the eternal third person of the Trinity. He is co-equal with God in Jesus Christ. He's not lesser. He is co-equal with Jesus Christ and God the Father. He is God. He also is intelligent. He also has feelings. He also has a will. He is also omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's also omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. He's also omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. That's the wonder and the glory of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just appear like a vapor. He is every place at once. Psalm 139, David says, Where can I go to escape the presence of God? And the conclusion is, Nowhere. The Holy Spirit is with me wherever I go. If I'm in the bottom of the sea, if I'm in the height of the heights, He says, He is with me. He has surrounded me. And not only that, He is the deposit of God in believers to remind us that we are His. It is the Holy Spirit that helps get us saved and points us and convicts us of our sin. It's the Holy Spirit that seals us until the day of salvation. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us of this sin and becomes our comforter and our teacher and our helper and our guide. He is the one that takes the place of Jesus Christ on this planet when Jesus is now in heaven doing work for us. He didn't leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit so that we will be able to be believers in, even in a modern age. Why? Because he knew that we would need it and he knew we would try to do it in our own power. He knew that we get mixed up. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. He says he will lead us into all truth. Think about that for just a minute. Think of where the world is today, maybe from the time you grew up, and there's a lot of falsehoods and a lot of lies and a lot of twisted stuff, and yet the Holy Spirit hasn't changed. He says he will lead you into all truth, and the Holy Spirit will always point us back to Jesus Christ. 
Thank God we've got the Holy Spirit that reminds us that we're His and keeps pointing us back to Him. When we get confused, when we get lost, when we know that we're drifting, the Holy Spirit comes and says, Hey, it's not too late. Come back. He convicts us of our sin and then comforts us. Yes, what you're doing is wrong, but yes, you can be forgiven. Not only can you be forgiven, you can be empowered. That's part of that Holy Spirit, is to be empowered people. Not washed out people, not down in the mouth people, but empowered people. But let's, take, let's look at the Scripture this morning. Uh, enough of me. Let's hear what God's Word says this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, if you want to join me there. Right after John is the book of Acts. And the full name of this book is the Acts of the Apostles. And this is A-C-T-S, not A-X-E. It's not the Acts, like I'm cutting you off. And most people agree that the writer of this is Luke. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 4. Being assembled together with them, the disciples, the apostles, he, being Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. He's like, you guys are here. I want you to stay here for a reason. I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, that's the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying I want you to wait for. And the great news is this morning, maybe you haven't received that promise as well. And today could be the day you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, if you're willing to wait for it, if you're willing to let Him do what He wants to do. Here's what He says. Wait for the promise of the Father, which, He said, you have heard from Me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, knowing all of this, this is what He's saying, knowing all this is a hinge When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Look at, he's saying, I'm sending you something wonderful. I'm sending you something powerful. I'm sending you something that's going to change you. And look at what they're focused on. Are you going to kick out the Romans? Are you going to give us back our power? They were thinking of external political power. He's like, no, I've got a power that's going to be inside of you till the day you die. I'm going to give you a power that it doesn't matter who's in government. It doesn't matter who's in control. I'm going to give you a power from the inside that'll take you to the ends of the earth and you'll fear nobody except for God. That's the type of power I'm going to give you. Notice what he says. It's not for you to know these things. The Father has put it in His own authority. But you shall receive power. Look at this. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You want political power. You want to reign as a kingdom again. I'm telling you, I'm giving you something better because kingdoms come and go, but I stand forever. And if we can wrap our heads around this, the power came for us to be witnesses and not witnesses of the Holy Spirit, witnesses to Jesus. He gives us the ability 
And they, they understood this. The church is being persecuted. The church is being uh, squashed down. The, the Romans are hunting. There's people like Paul out there that's hunting down Christians. And they're hiding and they're afraid. And now Jesus is gone. What are we going to do? And he says, I know exactly what we're going to do. When you're together, I'm going to make sure that you're all taken care of. And I'm going to put into you what Jesus had in him. And that's going to turn the tide. And then these simple fishermen, these tax collectors, these nobodies from nowhere, begin to talk about Jesus Christ like never before. But it, there was a little time to wait. I want you to see, he said, what I want to do for you. So turn to Acts chapter 2. Maybe it's on your same page. There's all kinds of great things going on. They, they decide to go into an upper room and, and have a prayer meeting. And Matthias gets chosen through this group. But here's where we meet what we're talking about today on this day of Pentecost. It said, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord. They're all in agreement. Nobody's making them stay there. And they're in one place. And then suddenly, there came a sound from heaven, like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, again, they didn't know. Jesus didn't tell them how the promise was going to come. He just said, you wait, and the promise is going to come. So they're waiting, and they're praying, and they're waiting, and they're praying, and they're waiting, and they're praying. And all of a sudden, they hear a sound. And that sound is like a wind that fills the whole house. And again, the wind is a, is a great example of who the Holy Spirit is and how He moves. Then something strange that they'd never seen before happened. And, and I want to stop right here for just a minute. Maybe you've heard this and read this a, a hundred times. But I want, to, I want to just do one simple little teaching right here so that for the rest of your lives, hopefully, you don't tweak this out. What they're about to explain is a description not a prescription. They're going to describe what happened on the day of Pentecost. It didn't say this is how it's going to be forever and for everybody. That's the difference between a description and a prescription. Because this is the only time this happens. But the power of the Holy Spirit is still working and moving and filling today. But never again was there tongues a fire. Never again did that happen, and he didn't mean for it to happen again and again and again, because it's just a description of the initial event. So I want you to get that. Sometimes we read through and we want to duplicate this. We think, this is what the Bible says. This is how it has to be done. Well, I don't see us meeting in house churches. I don't see us eating bread. I don't see us all together in the marketplace. So why would we take this one part and, and focus on it when we're not going to do the rest of it? It makes us confused. It makes us practice in a way that's not what God wanted. So here's what happens. They're sitting there. They hear the wind. They're probably wondering what's going on. And there appeared to them, they could see it, divided tongues that looked like fire. And one sat on each of them. In any of the pictures, it makes it look like they're resting above their heads and a little flame is flickering. 
I don't know what it looked like. I don't know what it means it sat on each of them. Did it sit in their lap? Did it? I, I don't know. I'm just telling you this is what the Bible says. It doesn't matter where it showed up, does it? If one sat on their little shoulder, that would be just fine too, right? It didn't have to be their heads. And each of them saw it and the fire... Uh, the tongue sat on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, why Jesus had said back in Acts chapter 1, John baptized you with water, but I'm going to baptize you with fire. Now, we practice, and what the, the Scripture, when he uses that word baptized, is the word immersed, submerged, completely covered. And we practice immersion water baptism, where your whole body gets covered with water. We don't practice sprinkling. We don't just drip a few drops on you. We practice what's called immersion, just like Jesus did. This is what he's saying about the Holy Spirit as well. Is you've received the deposit when you got saved. You, just, you received a part of me, but I want to completely immerse you, baptize you in the Holy Spirit so that it now covers all parts of your life. It's not just a hope of waiting. It's not just a thing. It's not a force. It is the third person of the Godhead that will fill you to capacity and will keep filling you if you will let him. (laughs) But if you think of it as a one-time event, or you think of it as to only have tongues or to only see fire, you're missing the point. The point was he wants you immersed. He wants every part of your life covered with the Holy Spirit because whatever's not covered the devil gets hold of, or we get hold of, and then we do what we want. And he said, if you really want this life, you really want to be empowered, then allow me to cover everything from your head to your toes, your pocketbook, your hands, your feet, your mouth, your ears, everything that you're going to struggle with. Let me cover it. I want to baptize you with something better than water. And that's where we struggle, is it means giving up control, it means a yielding, it means submission, it means I've got to choose to let the Holy Spirit do in me even the things I don't want to do. We don't get to pick when we get immersed in the water and say, well, baptize me, but just not this portion of my forearm. But I'll tell you, church, we need a fresh revelation of the Holy Spirit in every church in America. The biblical Holy Spirit. Not what we want it to be, not what we want to mold it into be, but the raw, awesome power of God in our midst that we can't control, and we don't have to pump it up, and we don't have to try to bring it down. The Holy Spirit just works in us and convicts us and brings us together, and all of a sudden we are something more than we are as individuals. And sin gets rooted out, and God gets glorified. And it changes our worship, and it changes our prayer, and it changes how we treat each other, and it changes how we... Function with God. But also our culture demands that they are not seeing the powerful, glorified church that God needs them to see. 
The culture is bought into lies. The culture is backwards. The culture is being twisted. Our culture demands that we are spirit-filled Christians, baptized by the Holy Spirit, changed, radically changed, so that we can show them the glory of God, not through us, but God in us. And that doesn't mean handling snakes and drinking poison and some of the silly stuff that people have tried to do. God doesn't need that. He just needs you on fire for Him. He just needs you baptized. He needs you to stop resisting. He needs you to lay it all down just like you would. In, I mean, it's hard to baptize somebody that's resisting. Try to put a cat in the toilet. See how that goes. And for some of us, whether we want to admit it or not, that's us with the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, God, yep, I, I'm good with God. Jesus, oh, thank you for salvation, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's because you don't understand who He is. You don't understand what He wants. You don't understand how glorious and wonderful and, yes, frightening because He goes into places of our lives that we don't always want Him to go. But that's His job to root out our sin, to make us in the image of God. Not to just, whoo, oh, that felt good. I can get that from running. You want that feeling? Go run about a mile. You'll either be dead or you'll get that, whoo, I feel good feeling. You'll get a little euphoria. He didn't come so we'd be euphoric. He didn't come so we'd speak in tongues. He came so that we would tell the world about Jesus. Yes, those tongues came. And yes, they were for that specific time for a specific reason. But he came that we would be witnesses. Whether we speak or not, we can show the world our witness of Jesus Christ to the glory of a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's what keeps you going when all the, the, the great part of salvation begins to wear off and you begin to forget. The Holy Spirit comes in and says, you're still my child. I'm still with you. And you you got to keep stepping it up. I'm going to keep turning up the heat. I'm going to keep working in you. Don't think you can shift into neutral. Don't think you can go back the way you used to live. That's why our conscience begins to work. That's why we know when we're drifting from God because of the Holy Spirit. Because He wants us to be close. He wants us to be full. So they, all the tongues were there with them. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, verse 5, devout Jews from every nation under heaven. So this huge gathering has come because of the feast. And again, this is no accident. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. All the Jews from every nation would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he's like, what a perfect opportunity. I love those people so much, I'm going to do for them what they can't do for themselves. So all these Jews from other different countries, from all different languages, it says, and when the sound occurred, the multitude, everybody outside, came together and they were confused. Have you ever been confused about the Holy Spirit? Confused about how people practice it? Confused about church's views on it? Then you're in good company. Sometimes it can be confusing if we don't look to the Word. But you know why they were confused? Read the next part. Everyone heard them speak in their own language. They didn't just stand up and start babbling something. Everyone heard them speak in their own. And the, the, the great 
original translation, it doesn't say this word specifically, but here's what, it's their heart language. So maybe you know different languages, but whatever your key language was, that first language, that's your heart language. They all heard it in their heart language. They knew exactly what the message was, but it was confusing because they saw these ignorant fishermen speaking their fluent heart language. And they didn't understand how that could happen. Not only that, and it's, and it's just a, it's an assumption here. The words don't say it, but I'm telling you, but not only did they hear it in the old language, but everybody was saying the same thing. There was no confusion. There was not somebody saying one thing and somebody saying another thing that was contradicting each other or practicing in a different way. They were all saying the same thing. And people were beginning to say, whoa, what's going on? And they were amazed and marveled, verse 7, saying to one another, are not these who speak Galileans? And, and we just read that like, oh, they're from Galilee. But you've got to understand what they're really saying is these are ignorant men. These are not learned men. These guys haven't been to college. They, don't, they barely speak their own language. This is, how can this be? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues. And what are they speaking? The wonderful works of God. Church, You want to know what the Holy Spirit is for? Right there. It's for us to speak in the language of a culture that needs to hear the wonderful work of God. To give Him glory. And they will wonder what what glory. And we tell them the story. They were amazed and perplexed and said to one another, What can this mean? Now look at this. It's still happening today. Others are mocking, saying, nope, they're just full of wine. They're drunk. There's only one way to describe this behavior. Now, now this is kind of funny because I've, I've been there. Not the mocking, but I'll tell you, my speech gets impaired when I used to drink. And I don't sound like I normally sound. You begin to slur. You begin to talk different. But isn't it funny that everybody heard a very clear message in their own language? And yet the people that are mocking said, no, 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 that's not it. They're just drunk and they're slurring their words. Not everybody heard the wonderful news of God. Some of them heard slurred drunks because they didn't want to hear. I want to show you a little demonstration this morning before we move on. But as believers, got a little sign up here that says all believers in Christ. Every believer has the ability to have the Holy Spirit and to be filled. And I'm not making any uh, advertising claims this morning. It just happens to be what I had. So he had all of his apostles all in one place. Contained. 
But that's not what his plan was for the church. He's got more for you and me than just to have us come and sit in this place. Right? Because it really doesn't matter what we do on Sunday if it doesn't affect what we do Monday through Saturday out there. And they aren't going to see the glory of God in here because they ain't here. They see the glory of God when we take what we get filled with out here on Sunday and take it back out there. So here's what happens. He's got all his people in place. The Holy Spirit is ready. It's been since the beginning of time. And they're there. And, and this is what I want you to get. Everything that they needed had already been placed inside them. No magical formula. But what they was going to do is the Holy Spirit was going to release what had been placed inside of them for a specific purpose. So here we go. Now where's the church? Contained? Or all over? He took what was already inside of them and helped them get it outside of them. Do you see what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is? It's not to fizz it up and keep the cap on and everything's under pressure and oh. I want to take what's on the inside and cause it to be so powerful that it comes out. And it can't be contained anymore. And it goes all over. See, the Romans were trying to squash it down. They're trying to stomp out what they called the way of these new religious people. And the more that they pressed, it just got under pressure, just like the carbonation in that bottle. And Jesus came and said, I'm going to give you the promise. It's already ready. Are you ready for it? And all he needed was some time and them to be in a place. And all of a sudden, an infilling happened. And notice they didn't stay inside and just go, woo. That feels good. Let's get back here tomorrow and do that again. And I'm telling you, without any disrespect, the Holy Spirit was not given so that church people could get a little wiggle, jiggle, woo, and then go eat a Dairy Queen. Oh, that was a good service. Let's go. The Holy Spirit was given that we would be changed irreparably and that we would be changed forever and that as we need it, because guess what? That bottle's not full anymore, is it? Now guess what we need? To be filled again. This is what he says in the New Testament through the epistles. He says, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually that as this happens, as you spew it out, I will refill you again and then it'll happen again. Because guess what? I bring in some, put some more Coke in that bottle. I put in some more Mentos. Guess what will happen? It can happen every time. But can I tell you, we don't need tongues of fire. What we really need is what we sang about this morning. Break down our walls. Stop resisting. And as, as I was singing that song, the first thought that came to my mind was the city of Jericho from the Old Testament. Where it said that they praised God and they worshipped around. And then something amazing happened. It said that God 
brought down the walls, but he pushed them down flat so that all the people could walk in. They didn't have to worry about it falling on them. They were able to just rush right in. And if that's you this morning, I would dare you, I would challenge you, I would encourage you, beg you, allow the Holy Spirit this morning to push down your walls of resistance so that the fullness of God, the the triune God, three-part God, can rush into your life and fill in the gaps and push out the fear and add a level of empoweredness, add a level of boldness that nobody can take away from you because it's on the inside. They can close down this church. They can bulldoze it, but they can't take the Holy Spirit out of me. They can't take it out of you. They can even cut me open and play around in there and drain out all my blood, but the Holy Spirit is with me until I get to Jesus. And that's something that can't be stopped. That's why it's so scary. We all know it's scary. It's the same with baptism. People take showers and baths all the time until it's baptism day, and then they're getting nervous because they know that it's something more than just water. It's a stepping stone. It's immersing themselves into something spiritual. That's what the day of Pentecost was all about. I'm taking you from being a bunch of losers and fishermen that are scared and frightened and sitting in an open room hoping that Jesus comes back and Jesus isn't coming back. I'm going to pour into you something that will tell you about this Jesus until you die. And that's what they did for the rest of their life. No more going back to fishing. No more getting distracted. They went from there and all of a sudden the church began to fan out. And all of a sudden a strange man named Paul gets saved and starts taking the gospel out to places that had never been before and what had been contained and they were hoping to stomp out. Because of that pressure, God took that pressure and overflowed it and now you cannot put the church back in the bottle. That's what he wants for you. And for me, it's the empowerment, church. Verses 8 through 15 tells us this. You can read it through there, but I I want to take you to, to verse 16 real quick. You see, in this moment, after they said, oh, they're all drunk, don't pay attention to them, Peter says, no, 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 no. We need you to know something. I want you to heed or listen to my words. These men are not drunk like you think that they are. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. This was a promise. Look what he says. It's going to come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughter will prophesy. And and really, at the basis of what prophecy means, speak the Word of God. It's not predicting future hurricanes and volcanoes and... Maybe, but at the basis, prophesying is just telling people the Word of God, what God has said. That's prophesying. That's you and me. That's our job, that we prophesy to this world the glories of God. And he goes on. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, and this probably blew this away because in one single day, Jesus provided equality. And ladies, you should be on the top of your game. 
Because Jesus Christ came and said, you're just the same as the guys. You're just as equipped. You're just as empowered. You're just as loved. You are everything that they are. And he elevated the women from being in the back seat and sitting with the cattle to all of a sudden you are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And that's amazing. And it caused conflict. And it was radical. And it was so ambitious. And yet it's the same thing he wants for us today. I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And he goes on, and if we pick it up in verse 37, you hear something. He begins to tell them, you want to know what this is all about? It's about this Jesus that you crucified. He was the chosen one. He was the son of David. He tells a, a brief history of the world, so to speak, of what Jesus came for. And what's amazing is that it had its perfect effect. Look at He just got done saying, this is all about Jesus. And you guys crucified him. In verse 37, and when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. See, that's part of the job of the Holy Spirit. He gets to the root of the problem. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brothers, what should we do? You've told us that we're responsible for this, and, and, and why are you telling us? What do you expect us to do? And Peter had him at that point. You want to know what to do? The same thing that we need to do. Repent. That means to turn from the path that you are on. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Look at that. You repent. You turn from that life that you were doing that was against God. And you turn towards God. And you get baptized. And he uses this incredible word that we use when we talk with cancer. Remission. And what remission means is I can find no evidence of the cancer. It also means this. Once you've been bathed in Jesus Christ, He can find no evidence of your sin. But it doesn't mean that if we don't follow Him, that it won't come back. Just like cancer. That's why there's an interesting remission and cured. He's like, you walk with me, I'll take care of the remission. You walk away from me, remember that that sin will come back. Look what he says. Jesus Christ will take care of your sins and you will receive the gift. You'll receive the same gift that we receive. We're not special. We're not unique. You can have what we have. And church, you can have what they had too. And maybe you've been resisting it. Maybe you've been talked out of it. Maybe you're freaked out about it. But I'm telling you, you need the Holy Spirit to be an on-fire Christian today. If you think you can just do it by carrying a Bible around or listening to Caleb, you're wrong. Dawn are the days of putting fish on our cars and just wearing a church necklace and that somehow is going to affect people. We need people full of the Holy Spirit and fire that will tell people about Jesus, that will live a life that shows Jesus, that will marry well and show Jesus, that will raise their kids like Jesus, that will use their finances like Jesus. That's the immersion. Every part of your life, not just you dressing up nice on Sunday. Your whole life representing Jesus Christ. He empowers us to live the life we can't do with our own power. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit 
for the promise is to you, to you today. You, the doubter. You, the person that's not sure. You, the person that's been resisting. You, the person that you don't even want it. It's still available to you. If you allow it to happen. And to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. I'm going to take you back to Acts chapter 1 and 8. This is part of the empowerment, just so we understand when we leave here, what's this all about? I'm not talking about gifting. I'm not talking about manifestations of the Spirit. I'm talking about the purpose of what the Holy Spirit was given to us for. And here's what he says, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You're going to receive power. Great. But now what do I do with that power? Because power that's not used is a waste or potentially harmful. But I want you to use that power, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. The Holy Spirit empowers us to keep that explosion going. That in every one of us, there's a little explosion that happens outward. In every one of us, we explode outward, and that explosion keeps going and going and going. And it's only when it's shut down that all of a sudden the gospel stops. When we get too worried about rejection and fear and all those things, what's Jerusalem to you? Where you live. Not just the city, but that little local place right there. Where have you been planted? And then Judea, outward into the state. Look at that. Notice it's always outward. Starting in one location, going outward. And then Samaria, the country. And you can microscope this down to your house, to your neighborhood, to your workplace if you want. But it's the same effect that it starts in you and begins to work outward, not inward. He's already given us the remission of sins. He's done and taken care of the inward work. He doesn't need to get crucified again. He's already done it. But then he says, even to the end of the earth... And that means wherever we go, when you're on vacation, when you're traveling, when you're doing whatever, you've got a responsibility to take that explosion out. There's people wherever you go that need to know about Jesus Christ. And you may say, hey, hey, give me a break. I'm on vacation. We don't get a vacation. Our vacation is expanding the glory. And it doesn't have to all be about that. But what happens when we're immersed is it becomes part of who we are. It becomes about what we do and why we do it. And if we're embarrassed by that, maybe you need a fresh immersion this morning. And I'm not talking about flames on your head. I'm talking about a full yielding. I'm just saying it. Lord, I've been holding out on my fill in the blank. Or Lord, I've been afraid of this. I kind of grew up in this and I saw a bunch of weird stuff and You may have saw weird people, but you didn't see a weird Holy Spirit. And I want you to embrace the Holy Spirit again this morning. It's what the whole day of Pentecost is all about. Not the after effects, but the infilling. The powering us up. The moving out our fear. You want to talk about something that will change our nation? This is it. You want to talk about something that will change your family? This is it. You want to talk about something that can change a city? This is it. 
We don't need the legislation. We don't need more food. We don't need more funds. We need more of the Holy Spirit, and we need to stop fighting Him. And we'll see the change that secretly we've been avoiding. Because it's hard, and it's scary, but that's where the Holy Spirit steps in. And He teaches us, and He guides us, and He comforts us. And even get this, for those of you who are simple like me, I'll remind you what to say when you don't know what to say. He took a bunch of unlearned fishermen and they got into religious arguments with people and won. And what's crazy is you read, rest on in the book, and they're on trial one day and they listened to them. And you know what they heard? They didn't hear a bunch of debates. They heard Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the council judging them said, it's obvious these men have been with Jesus. They sound and look like common people, but they've been with Jesus. Don't play yourself down. Don't think you've got to get a degree. All you need is to let those walls come down. Stop the struggle today. Allow a fresh new day of Pentecost to happen for you. Even if there's nobody, don't worry about anybody around you this morning. Just for you. What's stopping it from happening? Why not embrace it? Why not embrace it? Why would you want to be a powerless person? Why would you want to be filled with fear? Why would you want to carry the most amazing, powerful gospel in the world and not let it out? That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. 